Welcome to CoreCast. Oh my goodness, we are back. I have somehow found the microphone, found the stream, and I'm making my one last stand, my last hurrah. The um, Remember the Alamo, but remember the caucus Josh Lane presents to you. I'm back for one last recording, and man, I got to talk some Hawks. And when I talk Hawks, I have to get the main man to come back. He's always been there, always helpful, very intelligent. I had to go get Glenn to join me on this first part of this final recording. Glenn, how are you today? I'm good, and I'm really happy that you decided to do one more of these before you uh, put it out on ice. I hope this is not um, a forever um, forever done and interesting later in your part, because I always enjoyed it. But if it's something you need to step away from for a while, glad you're doing one more. I'm honored to be a part of it. I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, man. Um, I'm just excited to talk. Um, there's so much content, um, at least media-wise, with basketball and basically anything nowadays that I'm actually like spending more time just listening to everybody else uh, talk instead of planning out my own show. But, you know, yeah, I'm I'm taking um, – trying to do my last hoorah, and maybe maybe one day in the future we'll see. But – I just wanted to make it official and just get everything off my chest. So right now, here's my last attempt to uh, get um, Peachtree Hoops to put nothing but CawCast posts all over their front page. That's right, Brad, if you're listening, I want you to put this on the top four in the carousel, even if it just might be one article. Make it happen. (laughs) All righty. So, man... It's it's been a heck of a season, Glenn. Um, I haven't given my thoughts, my opinions much in the beginning of the season. Last that everyone's heard of me is kind of my thoughts during the draft and how angry I was in terms of just trades and direction and just different things happening. And well, half a season has gone by and I don't know, maybe my opinion has changed. Maybe I still have some, some stuff, but, um, I will say this. I am so glad. Like, I have watched many bad Hawks teams in the past. Many good, well, many good teams, but many bad teams in the past. And this is possibly the most fun and interesting bad Hawks team I've I've ever watched. Because, Glenn, to me, the Hawks are are doing what I hoped and prayed and dreamed that they would do. They're in these close games, and it's not because of veterans. It's because of the young guys. Like, the young guys are getting experience. Um, Coach uh, Lloyd Pierce is putting the young guys in at end of games to close out to um, get them to know what it's like to finish a game and not just throwing the veterans out there. This is everything I honestly could hope for and rebuild. And I am so glad that Lloyd Pierce is – he's actually – Low key been kind of doing a good job in my in my opinion, but 
I don't know. This season has just been enjoyable to watch because we know what we knew what was going to happen at the beginning of the year, but we're getting the young guys out there. Um, am I missing anything? Well, rather, Glenn, what are your thoughts of the season so far? Just give me everything. All craziness. Yeah, I I think fun is the right word for me. I've I've been enjoying watching the team a lot. Trey Young, um, you know, we people can uh, in perpetuity talk about whether the Hawks made the right decision on draft night, but but Trey Young is on this team. He's this point guard, and he's a really fun player to watch. He has an incredible. Uh, ability, you know, dribble pass, the shot comes and goes. I think it's going to be fine in the long term. Um, there aren't many more guys in the league more fun than watching John Collins play at the rim. And then he's sh- showing some uh, shooting prowess too. And in kind of a sneaky way, uh, Kevin Herter, you, you know, you just take a quick look at him and he doesn't jump out of you as someone who's uh, an impressive athlete, but he'll he'll do something now and then. Where you go, wow! You know, he really got up for that dunk, and and also just the, the, you know he looks like an elite shooter, and um, you know, and, and even other personalities on the team. You know, baseball is not going to be the next great Hawks team, but he's a fun guy to, to kind of watch play. He celebrates when his teammates do things. Um, it's been fun to watch Alex Lynn kind of kind of grow a little bit. Not sure um, how far he's going to be able to kind of advance this game in the next year or two. But there, there are many, many, many fun um, aspects of this team, and so I've been really enjoying the season. Not not having much heartburn or uh, uh, you know any sort of negative kind of feelings at all. It's just it's just been fun. Obviously, they need more pieces um, over the next few years to kind of become you know something real that you want to see them chase something meaningful but for where they are right now i think they're doing fine and they are a lot of fun to watch for a number of reasons yeah um you mentioned kevin herter doing things i know nothing about the nba draft and i know i've told people this so i'm knew nothing i knew nothing about kevin herter watching him play is always just fun because it's like that random it's like a jukebox you don't know what you'll get in the (laughs) sense of um his skill set he had a pass where he took a pass in the post earlier in the year and i saw him it was just a tap pass to the corner but he basically took it from the paint and just tap passed it and coming from a 90 degree angle to a corner uh player to shoot the three i think they may have missed the three the player did who he passed it to but that was just one of those things i was like wow that was just instant recognition it's like one of those things that he read the floor before he got the ball and knew what the best play would be. And that's just something you don't see from a rookie. Um, a lot of Trey Young stuff, um, his passing ability. There are just some things where he just throws the ball up because he knows like Alex Sun or Dwayne Dedman is, is naturally going to be taller than the guy that switched off of him on a pick and roll. And it's not like, you know, I guess you'd say an open pass, but it's definitely things he does like you – when you watch football, he throws guys open with his passes. It's it's inter- it's some next level stuff that I'll say I never saw from um well the last couple of point guards here. But but anyway, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I just, it's been a heck of a season so far. Yeah, having I mean, fun with the draft. Class. I made my one appearance at a Hawks game. <laughs> they lost to it was um in January and they lost to the Magic that game. Which, Glenn, I'm pretty sure, fun fact, 
I don't even know if it's a fun fact, but I'm pretty sure every single game that I've seen the Hawks play the Magic, they've lost. Like, this goes back to um, thanks. I remember when they released the old red uniforms on Thanksgiving. They played the Magic. They lost. I went to uh, the playoff series, both games in that playoff series. And you know which one I'm talking about. They lost yep. both. Uh, they lost this game. And I'm pretty sure I, they, uh, I went to another um, another random game. So, so Atlanta Hawks like, like, oh, 0 for thing. 6 or 0 for 7. Though you uh, can't when, admit when you... it. Just invite me to all Atlanta Hawks versus Magic games, and it's a guaranteed loss. Glenn, I understand that, well, the trade deadline is coming up, and we've seen some interesting moves. Um, before we actually get into what impacts Atlanta, was there anything that you saw around the league that, I don't know, um, <laughs> might be interesting do the atlanta hawks they don't have a shot at uh, anthony davis do they uh yeah it's funny because i heard uh some national media voice i can't remember who it is and i i i follow everyone i listen to everybody's podcast i read everyone just because they're sourced you know and it's and i crave you know actual sourced information but someone made the comment every team should be calling the Pelicans about Anthony Davis, and I was like, "Really? Every team, like even Cleveland, Atlanta, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not every team, but I, yeah, I would think that um, the the possibly the Hawks landing Anthony Davis is as close to zero percent as as you can get it. So it's yeah, that's that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> You know, the funny thing is, is that I thought that whole saga was very interesting. Just listening to him um, say, you know, he wants to go someplace else. Um, you know, players do what you want to do. It's it's very entertaining when you're not the ones involved in the drama. I, I will say that. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, I, I in a way I feel for Pelicans fans, but um, I'm not a very emotional fan. I'm more of an intellectual fan, and, I, and I'm that, that's not me being critical of emotional fans. I mean, that's what probably drives the most people to become fans is kind of riding the emotional waves of the team that you root for. There certainly are times I feel kind of more emotionally engaged, but I I would hope the Pelicans fans appreciate that Anthony Davis is giving them the opportunity to trade him when he has a good bit of value where they can get a good return rather than just kind of playing it coy and kind of getting down to one year. And, you know, kind of like uh, people want to say, well, it worked out with Paul George and it worked out. We'll see if it works out with Kawhi, you know, but um, you know, it's, he's, I think he does um, have good memories and feels warmly about the organization. But I also think he knows that, uh, in his prime, if he's going to chase um, the biggest prize, that he need, he needs to do so somewhere else. The organization has just not shown that it's capable of collecting talent, evaluating players uh, well enough to put uh, a group of players around him that um, kind of get him an opportunity to really chase, the, like I said, a championship. So I, I I personally admire him for handling it the way he has the the media will do with it what they want and and some media outlets like to make it like super controversial that will find any way to make it controversial but for me i just don't think it's really that controversial i think he's realizes yep it's not going to happen here 
but that's the I, but I want to do as right by the organization that drafted me and that, that supported me up till now as I can. I think that's what he's done. So I, you know, I, I, I hopefully in the end, Pelicans fans will uh, you know appreciate that. While I have to mm-hmm. a- a- acknowledge that it's easier for me to say than you know, because, like you said, it's, it's not happening to the team I root for. Yeah. Um... Remembering when Atlanta kind of went through this with uh, the end of the Al Horford era, it was just kind of like one of those things where it's like the emotional side of you was like, why, how can he do this? But then the logical side of you could see what the Hawks were doing and you're like, oh my goodness, guys, what Hawks, what are you doing? So I I totally get what you're saying there. Um, It's, you know, I mean, they just couldn't put it – in my opinion, they just couldn't put a team around Anthony Davis, and you had him for so long, and you knew, like, how good of a player he was. Just one thing that makes me think is just, like, who is the best, I don't know, point guard that Anthony Davis has ever played with? Um, yeah, it's a tough, tough question yeah. to answer. I mean, because the, – and then they've had a lot of guys there that were kind of like, – like Drew Holiday, I love him as a player, but is he a point guard? He's kind of a point guard. You know, he's had other guys there like Eric Gordon kind yeah. of played like a point guard, but not really a point guard, you know. So he's played with a lot of scoring guards, but not really a point guard that's going to kind of be a facilitator. I can't, unless I'm just not remembering, um, you know. So it, it would be interesting to see him. Um, you know, LeBron is basically a point guard and can work with him. Or like if they decided to go to New York and – to Kimba goes home and, and to New York. It would be interesting to see them play together. Kyrie's more of what he's had before, scoring point guard, although he's becoming more of a facilitator this year. So it's going to be fascinating to see where he ends. Um, I'll pass along an, uh, an, an unoriginal thought. Um, I had uh, my friend that I have on my podcast often, Dane Moore, he's actually co-host uh, during the offseason and the playoffs, but um, he's, he said the one most important aspect to him is that he hopes that the result is not that the Pelicans don't trade him by the deadline and then don't play him all year because he's fun to watch. And it would suck if that was the outcome and that you know NBA fans in general just didn't get to see one of the 10 best players play because of this uh, kind of weird status. So I hope he gets traded. Um, uh selflessly as a fan because I want to watch him play. And if they don't trade him, I hope they let him play. Although I can kind of understand, um, you know, from a business perspective, why you might entertain other um, thoughts about not playing him, keeping keeping him from injury risk and things like that. But as a fan, I want to watch him play. And as such, I think the most likely route to that is a trade. So I hope it happens. Yeah, um, I heard he's going to the Warriors. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, 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 would, I actually was um, in my own head thinking about how hilarious it would be if he got traded for Draymond Green. <laughs> oh, I'm not the biggest Draymond Green fan in the world, so that would. Mm, I, I have thoughts on Draymond Green, um, especially become coming of what you see. I, I don't see how he holds up, but that's that that's a whole other thought. <laughs> um, so yeah, the Anthony Davis sweepstakes is interesting. Um, we saw the tweet, the recent one, 
Now, what source is this? Because they, um, I see something where they like quoted Anthony Davis's father about not he wouldn't want his son to go to Boston because, um, yeah, yeah. I, what what I recall seeing was that Ramona Shelburne of ESPN was able to actually talk to him and got that quote, and he um, told her she could, you know, put that out there, make that public. Um, so that, but you know, but his father was also um, specific to say, this, "This is me talking. My son can talk for himself. I'm just telling you how I feel." And you know, I don't, I don't know how honestly how Danny Ainge comes out of that IT situation without looking a little bit, um, uh, you know, people being skeptical of him. You know, it, I, it, business is business, um, yeah. but. You know, it's I I try to not, like I said, not have an emotional reaction one way or the other. But after it's 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 weird the relationship that Isaiah Thomas has with quote the Hawks fan base because of the whole time you know, he punched Dennis Schroeder, didn't get ejected, challenged Schroeder to a fight supposedly, uh, you know, somewhere else in the arena. But then you know, subsequent years he's he loses a sister very sadly plays heroically uh, in the playoffs. And, you know, it's it's hard not to kind of be won over by a guy that gives that much to his team and such. So, um, you know, I hope he comes back and, and can be the player that he can be because, you know, I he kind of uh, won me over. You know, that postseason yeah. where he was going through all the, the tragedy and all of the grief and all those sorts of things. So just the competitor he is, I, I admire that. But, um but yeah, how uh, you know is Danny gonna trade Horford for uh, AD? You know, <laughs> after all that Al's done is in terms of a culture setter there. Um, you know, it, maybe the, the NBA is just more cold blooded than I actually want to believe it is. But well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Well, it would be terrible if um, you talk about players being traded. Especially if this were last year, but if Gordon Hayward was on that list of guys to get moved, that would be. But more- yeah, but that would be you know further evidence that uh, uh, I try to separate Danny Ainge, the NBA executive, from the person, and, and not assume that the character traits cross. You know, those yeah. two different things. You know, but yeah, like if he traded Gordon Hayward, um, just especially without consulting Gordon Hayward about you know where he would like to land if he's not able to be part of what they're trying to do there, that would just further provide evidence that uh, Danny Ainge has no basketball soul. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But, um, hey, um, the assets they have, though, it's something I thought about, it's <laughs> do, do you think he tries to um, move up? I, I don't I'm pretty sure that this is impossible and I didn't even bother to look at it. But with all the recent hubbub and interest that uh interesting how Kyrie has been acting, is that a player that could be on the move in terms of a trade? Well, that's a thing that's changed for me, like even in the last forty eight hours, because my view of that situation going into the season was if he's not committed to signing an extension after this season, and it's obvious why that they would want to wait till after this season so they could maximize um, the cap flexibility they would have. 
um, that Danny would trade him, you know, if he wasn't committed to, to staying beyond the season. And Kyrie came in and, you know, talked like he was there, you know, committed to be there for a long time, yeah. made, made the commercial about wearing the number 11 and wanting to be the last one to wear it and, you know, kind of leaning into a Celtics legacy that would be kind of the definition of the rest of his career. And then just in the last 24, 48 hours, he's gone on the record to say, ask me about free agency on July 1st. I'm only focused on this season or chasing a championship. But now I'm like, well, uh, you know, if he's just going to walk, is Danny just going to go ahead and, and offer him in a trade for AD? You know, <laughs> he can't trade for AD while uh, Kyrie's on the roster. But if Kyrie's not committed beyond this year and AD is really the big prize, you know, the big fish or whatever, how you want to call it, yeah, is wanting, you know, it, so it, the next five days could get crazy. But I, I but it, it surprised me after seeing. Kyrie step up and try to um, lead in the in the way that he knows how you know yeah. visibly on the court. It's it's looked constructive at times. It's looked less than constructive at times, but it, it looked like he was truly leaning into kind of being the alpha of the next phase of the Celtics you know chapter in NBA history. Right. But now, after what I've heard the last couple of days, uh, that seems to be very much an unsure thing. Um, watching Kyrie this season, Kyrie has had a very just, just, I mean, just record breaking season in the sense of his, um, off the court, not like not basketball related stuff, just in the sense of, um, all the new, the, um, sound bites and quotes he's given his leadership style, especially with how he was talking. Hmm. I wasn't, I'm not a big fan of it, but you know, whatever. He's his own guy. So, yeah, yeah. I, I have, I have no problem with a team leader talking to a guy being very honest. I, I don't know why one would kind of put it, so much of that out to the media. That, that doesn't seem constructive at all. No, no. I, because I don't know, leaders. Some of the best kind of like leaders, you know, are out there helpful. Um, like I'm assuming Tim Duncan was a great leader because you didn't hear nothing <laughs> out right. of him from um, about other players. He never went and said publicly after the team's big win to focus. Like I still can't believe he said the whole I called LeBron and told him what it took to win a championship. And it's like, dude, your team just won a big game and <laughs> – your team just won a big game and you somehow bring the focus back to yourself. That is just, I have a lot of, I had a lot of pent up thoughts since I haven't recorded in like six months, Glenn. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm getting them out now. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> if, if you're going out, that's the way to go out. Josh. <laughs> <laughs> just a lot of thoughts. Just, Oh my goodness. But, um, <laughs> so moving on now, obviously the big trade now, maybe you can, this seems like one of those like national events, like you know where you were, were. Like I was at work, just randomly turned my phone on during lunch. And I saw, I turned on my phone, looked at um, my Twitter account, and I saw the whole um, Chris Stapps Porzingis uh, to the Mavs thing. Um, <laughs> I feel like people can recount where they were because it was an event that was like so all of a sudden 
no, no news prior, just brought up to it, and then boom, all of a sudden, um, the Knicks' best asset was traded to the Mavs. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it um, was weird. It was weird because I, I was, you know, I, I got the notif- Twitter notification pop up on my phone. I'm like, okay, here comes here comes a rumor. Here comes a, a rumor. And I read it. It's like that's not a rumor. <laughs> it's news. And there was no you know precursor rumors at all. It just kind of came out of nowhere. But yeah, it was. Uh, at the moment, surprising. I think looking back, uh, not not so surprising. Uh, um, Chris Stapps has had uh, a rocky journey with that organization. Um, right. For example, like I don't know if listeners know, but uh, Josh Longstaff, who coached the Erie Bayhawks last year, was his personal um, player development coach, and the Knicks let him get away. Uh, you know. I would presume they could have offered him a higher, you know, spot higher on the the, the coaching staff to, to return reserve him or, or not or what have you. And, and in my mind, that's and, and just folks know Josh Longstaff is still with he's on Bud staff in Milwaukee, so he's still with Bud. Um, but that was kind of the beginning of uh, the Knicks not really doing what teams normally do to guys they feel like is going to be their franchise player, which is consult them on everything, including, you know, if, uh, you know, Josh was to move on, how would you feel about it? Is there another coach? You'd, you know what? And so the, the Knicks, it's a classic case. I know the front office has turned over um, at least once since they drafted him. Um, but you really do have to take care of guys like that um, to, to, to make sure that they're in a good place when, it comes time to look at their second contract. Yeah. Um, I think the funny thing to me is it was just like crazy that a couple of years ago, um, you know, Phil Jackson was the one that wanted to, uh, <laughs> that was trying to trade him. Yep. And then now to me, it was a wacky trade. Um, I, okay. I understand that you do it for cap space, but as we will find out in my belief through the rest of this podcast, and if you follow me on Twitter, I personally am not a gambler when it comes to stuff that you don't have or don't know the future of. I always go for the guarantee personally um, because you don't know if uh, some of the big names in free agency are going to come sign with you. I mean, ask the Hawks that year when they advertised to try to get uh, Chris Paul and um, Dwight Howard. Didn't happen. But it's just... You know, some of and oh boy, that I I personally didn't like it for the Knicks, as probably I know the majority of people out there, but that's just because of my personal opinion of when you basically anything in life, but just for this, just like you don't know what's gonna happen. Like now, unless the the only thing I guess that would make sense is unless if you for sure know that uh, Kevin Durant is coming to the Knicks next year, and which would mean that that's tampering, then yeah, go ahead and make the trade. But I was just kind of like, huh? Just, ah, oh, Knicks. And it makes me wonder, because um, I had to go, was going to go look at this. I'm like, is this the same guy that when he got hired, he gave Tim Hardaway Jr. that uh, ludicrous contract? But I I don't know. Did you have any thoughts on the trade before we talk about possible impact of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I see what the Knicks are trying to do, and there are 
two very interesting sides of how to look at it. First, the first side being it's New York. It's a huge market. It's a big platform. If you're trying to kind of be at the top of the sneaker industry, deliver as much, you know, sponsorship opportunities as you want. Um, LA and New York is where you want to be. I think that's, you know, over the last, what, 20 years, 10 years, I don't know, that's become a little bit uh, kind of a flatter hierarchy, if you will, where, like, Russell Westbrook has no issues um, in a small market getting as much sponsorship and notoriety and fame and attention as he, as he wants. I was but, about to bring something like that up to you. Yeah, um, but I do think yeah. New York is still unique in that it, it, it does offer more than – um, some measure more of of that type of opportunity. Um, so it's New York, but it's also the Knicks. <laughs> and yeah. they have yeah. not their that brand is is not strong at all. Their owner um, has been all over the place in terms of kind of setting a direction for the organization, or then just being totally hands off, or claiming to be hands off when things are really going poorly. Um, uh, you know, I don't know why he ever thought Phil Jackson, one of the greatest coaches of all time, would be a good GM. GMs tend to, to need to be hands off day to day stuff and those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, he, Phil Jackson had a very firm philosophy around how the game was supposed to be played. So, um, so, you know, that, that new front office will have to convince. You know, a guy like Kevin Durant that, yeah, we truly are going in a new direction and we're turning the page. And the next chapter of the Knicks history is going to be uh, one that you would want to be a part of. It's, it would, it's going to take an effort to convince a guy like that. But I do think that there is some opportunity. You know, Kyrie's always talked about wanting to play in New York. And if Kyrie goes there, then, you know, it could mean that another superstar would want to go play there. I think that. The biggest thing they have going for uh, them is that um, basically every team that had a coaching vacancy last summer wanted David Fisdell. And the whole coaching market was held up until David Fisdell decided where he wanted to go. And I, I think Fisdell is a very strong asset that they have and that the Knicks did well to get him um, because he's very well liked by players up and down the league. So, you know, so there's some things they have working for them, some things they have working against them. Um, was it worth trading Chris Tapps to get, you know, a super clean cap sheet? You know, we can't answer that question now. It will, it, it, we can't, we'll only be able to answer that question after we see what they do with that cap space. If they get kind of a second, a couple of second tier free agents and are a 45 win team, then uh, that probably is not how they hoped it would work out. But if they can land, you know, two really good players and become uh, an organization that can you know, be competitive to make the finals year after year over the next three, four, five years or whatever, then they will have succeeded. So, but you know, time will tell. Now, on the plus side, the Dennis Smith Jr. athleticism that 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 will probably go over well in New York. I will say that. Um, and also, um, I guess the other argument you could say is Chris Stapp's injury, injury history. Um, like, is he going to be one of those bigs that will just never get healthy just due to his body type? That, that's, that's definitely a risk, um, but he's talented enough. Like, um, yeah. you know, like with Joel Embiid, you know, 
the Sixers, he, he's too good for the Sixers to say he's not worth the risk. Kristaps is worth the risk. Um, and when you get special talent like like he offers, then I think you just have to say, you know, I mean, it, you know, name some other great player in the league just randomly like Damian Lillard, right? Yeah. He could have an awful injury tomorrow. And that could, so sometimes you, I think we um, do a little too much um, of suggesting that uh, injury history uh, means that there's a ton of risk going forward. I think that it, you do have to account for some more risk than the average player, but uh, some other random player who's never been injured because, you know, something could happen. So you're always t- taking a risk when you pay players to you know, get hurt any time. But yeah, it, it, it'd be nicer if, uh, you know, we'd seen uh, like three full seasons of Chris Stapp so far, we, which we haven't, you know. So, But I hope for him it works out, but there are some risks with that. Yeah, and that was my attempt to help Knicks fans, but you kind of like debunked it right there. So never mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> I tried. I tried to make it make sense for the Knicks. I'm just I, – I, I mean, I don't know. It's just – it's like you mentioned with Russell Westbrook in a smaller market. There are plenty of other players kind of like in a not-as-big market who will do really well as if you're a good player. So I think like – like, shoot, uh, well, you know, LeBron is LeBron, so I don't know if that counts. But I was going to say it's not It's not like Cleveland was a big market when uh, him and Kyrie were there uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, but like, like Giannis in Milwaukee. You know, Giannis is – Yeah. He would be getting a little more probably if he were in New York than Milwaukee, but it would be – we're talking about, what, 3%, 5%, yeah. not a whole lot more. It might be marginal, but um, but, again, he's so good – that he's that he's not having any trouble finding you know all the sponsorship opportunities he he probably wants to get his hands on. It's a you know mid sized market. It's a a city not known for. Uh, I've been there a, a number of times because it's so close to where I live, and I I enjoy this city. But it's, it doesn't come to mind of you know top places people want to visit on vacation or, or what have you or want or want to live. You know, a lot of that comes down to climate and, and such, but. Um, but yeah, he's Giannis. If he spends his whole career in Milwaukee, will not lack for those opportunities for sure. Right, and I imagine players. Um, well, one, I, well, one, I imagine that players actually like you know pay attention to the news nowadays. So they'll like look at the Knicks and be like, "Huh, so you're getting uh, ex NBA players kicked out of the arena and banned? That's awesome." And two, yep. um, it's not like players like live in the. St- I'll say live during like the off season in the cities that they play for. Right. Like, so I don't know, take it as it is. Cause it's like, you have a lot of players who, um, you know, they'll play for other teams or just celebrities in general, but how many of them have homes in Atlanta kind of thing, but you know, they don't play for the Hawks or how yep. many have homes in LA, um, but they don't play for the Lakers. It's- yeah. I would, I would bet at least 60% of the players in the NBA live in LA. Yeah, that many. Yeah, they all they all have homes out there. Yep. But um, so moving on, I wanted to get to the topic now. So now that um, Porzingis is in Dallas, and Dallas has that top five protected pick that goes to Atlanta. Obviously, if they land outside of the top five, 
Um, for those of you that don't know, if the Dallas gets a top five pick in next year's draft, they keep it. If not, it comes to us. Yes, bring on the picks. But uh, does this Porzingis trade affect it at all? Um, will we see Porzingis back this year? Um, I, I think they announced yesterday that he is unlikely to play this year. I don't think they totally closed the door. Um, I, I think that if they just kind of didn't collaborate with Chris Stapps on that at all, that that would kind of get them off to a bad start with him. I think Chris Stapps wants to play. Um, and so the word I think I recall yesterday was unlikely, but um, it made it sound like maybe the last five games or so he might play 50 minutes a game or, or what have you. So, um, but uh, so, he, but he, it, it appears he's not going to move the needle at all on uh, Dallas's uh, ability to, to win games. Um, Tim Hardaway Jr., uh, is he going to help them? Um, we all know Tim Hardaway Jr. There are some games he's helpful. There are some games where he's not as helpful. Courtney Lee, um, you know, decent, solid player, but uh, still trying to get back to fully healthy. And he's, from what I've seen out of him, he's not, you know, really very close. Uh, when J.J. Barea went down, that really, really hurt Dallas a lot. Um, he was uh, really a key to, if you go look on NBA.com stats, um, he was a, a part of, like, almost all of their most productive lineups. Um, and then he and Luca were really good together. Um, Carlisle would kind of sneak that into his game plan and not really play those two together in the first half, but play them together a lot in the second half and, and was getting wins that way. Um, so I, I don't think it really changes course for them very much. Uh-huh. Um, when the over-under came out at 34.5, I had said I liked that as one of my favorite overs. Um, primarily based on the fact that they were not trying at all last year, and it was to the level that they got fined <laughs> for not trying at all. They got fined for tanking. Right. They're sitting at twenty three wins. They're on. I think the over under was thirty four and a half, and I think that's they're kind of tracking towards about thirty four, thirty five wins. So I'd, I'd be surprised if it wasn't in the vicinity of that. You know, thirty three to thirty five wins when we get to the end. Huh. Well, and also, when they're going to play Dirk, I love Dirk, but Dirk is not helpful. He's uh, such a liability on defense. So, so it, it also comes down to, um, well, once they, you know, once they are presumably, you know, mathematically eliminated from playoffs, they start doing things, you know, ceremonious things like playing right. Dirk, you know, and things like that, and then that that might result in them uh, losing a few more games than they might have otherwise won. Well, my big fear is watch they're going to have the sixth record and watch they possibly at the number six spot, but then Tim Hardaway Jr. goes and wins them like two games down the stretch against uh, other tanking teams. That's uh, <laughs> that's my big fear. But <laughs> Well, and then, the, and then the lottery balls too, right? It's like the ping pong balls. It's, uh, you know, if they, right. if they end up sixth, you know, that's pretty close for comfort of them. If they move up one spot at all, the Hawks don't get the pick, you know? So would you prefer yeah. them to be like eight or ninth or, or what have you? And there's, there's the rest that they slip to 12 or 13 or, you know, so the, right, the, right. the big okay. ping balls make it so, you know, so I, I'm not really too focused on it. What I understand is that they want the pick to convey this year, 
which means they're probably going to chase wins if that's the case. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, DeAndre Jordan was not really helping them a lot. They played much better statistically when, like, Dwight Powell's at the five, um, when uh, Maxi Cleva uh, is at the five. So their defense might get better and they might, you know, actually win more than 34. But we'll, we'll see. But I think it'll be in kind of a safe range that the Hawks get the pick, but also in a range where the it might not be, like, six, seven, eight. So that's my feeling. You're right. Okay. Okay. Well, let's – we will see for the rest of the season, but it definitely does make sense um, that this would be the season they wanted to convey because definitely in the future, um, yeah, it, it, it would make sense. So um, that all said, so we see how that affects um, Atlanta. Is there anything Atlanta-wise, like Hawks-wise, that um, you could see coming up in a trade trade uh conversation or trade deadline coming up like a player like um kent baysmore or torn prince or Dwayne deadman or heck jeremy lynn uh possibly getting moved well that's kind of the funny part of the knicks and mavericks trade because um presumably the, the knicks are going to buy out both deandre jordan and west matthews and so um, you know, that means teams might wait to see where those guys land before they really go out and um, commit assets, whether it be young players or draft picks, to trade for someone, for example, in the Hawks roster. So that kind of depresses the market a little bit for what the Hawks might do uh, because there's two freebies out there, depending upon what you think of each of those. Uh, I mean, Dwayne Dedman is a completely different type of player. You know, so like if a team is looking to add – shooting at the five position, DeAndre Jordan's not going to be the guy you're looking at. Um, you know, Deadman's a solid shooter uh, for his position uh, on an expiring contract. Jeremy Lin's on an expiring contract. And, you know, I don't think the Hawks should just trade them for whatever they can get. Um, there is something to be said for continuity, um, and there's an impact, I think, to the young players on the roster um, to play along with these veteran players that have good habits, that are team-minded, um, that play hard, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's something to be said for letting these young guys, and also, you know, this season is also about Lloyd Pierce, you know, kind of learning what it takes to be a head coach. Uh, this is his first season. I'm sure he's he's learning and growing, and continuity of, of players for him, I think, is helpful. Now that doesn't mean that they should absolutely not consider any trade. I just think there's a there's a cost there that sometimes people I believe that I believe in that sometimes people I think don't acknowledge. Um, you know, for example, that was another example I had was like the Grizzlies are, are shopping Mark Gasol, and and I was talking uh, with someone the day about you know I think the Grizzlies have to consider the value of having Jaron Jackson Jr. play his entire rookie season along with Mark Gasol, you know, right. Um, yeah. There's, there's some value to value to that. Definitely. Um, there is. Yes. Yeah. So, but I would put Lynn and Dedman in the category for me, and this is just me talking of, I, I wouldn't trade them for just any random second round pick, especially if it's going to like a team that's competitive, say for example, if it's like a Philadelphia or a Portland or a Milwaukee or whatever, you know, uh, 
first of all, they don't need any more picks this year. They already have five. Uh, I don't think there's any way they're going to have five brand-new rookies on the roster next year. They're going to have to stash or trade out into other years or combine them and trade up or whatever they're going to do. Um, but, you know, I, I would want the pick to be more in the in the 31 to 45 range if I'm going to move on from Deadman or Lynn. Um, that's how I feel about it. Players 46 through 60, um, you know, sometimes they, they become really uh, viable, but if you look mathematically, um, usually not. So, um, again, I, I value Trey Young getting to play along with these veteran guys his entire rookie year. But if someone makes an offer that has some value, I think you have to wait against that. It would not be surprised to see if either of those are traded. Um, Baysmore is a, a trickier thing because you're likely going to have to uh, take back money that goes beyond this season. Um, there are not very many contracts at all. I think you count them on one hand um, of players who have expiring deals that kind of fit um, the salary matching requirements. Um, and most of those guys are guys that I believe teams want to keep like, um, you know, Tobias Harris is, comes to mind. I, I don't think the Clippers are looking to be bumping. I think they're looking to use his bird rights to sign him to do a contract this summer and keep him. Um, so, you know, how do you feel about that salary coming back? And can you get a first? Can you get two first? Can you get a first and a a nice second draft pick? Um, you know, so it just it just it just depends. But I'm not. I'm personally not going to be upset if they, if they do nothing at that point. Yeah, that's probably different from how other fans feel. Is like, well, why let Len walk for nothing? It's like to me, it's not for nothing. It's for uh, you know having continuity. Uh, around the critical year of development for young players. And that, that's sort of something to me. So I, will, I won't be upset if they do move them for something of value, but I'm also not going to be upset if they do nothing. Okay. Right. Um, well, we will see. We got uh, less than a week and we'll see what happens with that. See what giant trades come around though. You are right. When you did bring up the whole, um, DeAndre Jordan, Wesley Matthews thing, them getting signed. I was like, dang, there goes the value in some players. If Wes Matthews gets Wes Matthews gets bought out, there definitely goes the trade value in some players just because he's out there. Just because a team like I don't know um, Houston or something could just up and sign him if they wanted. Which yeah, and and Kit Basin works better than Wes Matthews at this point in his career, but he's he's marginally better. And if you can get Wes Matthews on a minimum contract after he's bought out, then when you you don't have to give up draft picks or your own players for Baysmore, then you're going to go that route and go, go down the West Matthews route. So I think the Baysmore market will be completely uncertain. Uh, un, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be on hold, if you will, until West Matthews lands where he lands. There may be some relationship between DeAndre Jordan and uh, – Dwayne Debbin, but because they're such differently skilled players, that there might be less of a, a thing there. But uh, I definitely think the West Matthews impacts uh, kind of the baseball market. Yeah. Um, well, we'll see. Um, maybe Philly might be a team um, to look out for in this upcoming week. But um, so speaking speaking of that, because you brought up Jeremy Lynn, 
So there has been some discussion on my Twitter page and amongst other fans that I am a huge Jeremy Lin hater. Um, I've been told that, you know, I just, just hate everything about Jeremy Lin, um, in, including the fact that I'm sure somebody has said that I hated him because he was too big to be a point guard. I, I don't know. Some, so, something weird like that. So, well, you know, Josh, there's only two categories. You either think the guy is the greatest player in the history of the NBA or you're a hater. So yeah, if you don't think he's the greatest player in the history of the NBA, you're a hater. So you're you're a hater, Josh. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because isn't that how we evaluate uh, quarterbacks in the NFL? Right. You know, top three or they suck. Right. (laughs) But um, but, um, anyway, so earlier in the year, Jeremy Lin was traded to the Hawks. I took the stance saying that I hated the trade because they basically took on Jeremy Lin's salary to help another team get a first round pick. Um, and that would be who would, who is the team? Okay. Brooklyn got, I'm, I'm going off the top of my head. I don't have anything pulled up right now, but um, I believe it was Brooklyn would be receiving the pick from Dallas, not Dallas, excuse me, Denver in uh, two years. Um because they took on the contract of Kenneth Fareed and who's the other player? Uh, is it Darrell Arthur? But any, anyway, yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Darrell Arthur. Arthur yeah. Okay. Okay. But anyway, um, I stayed at the time. I hated the trade because I said, why would the Hawks want to help another team get a lottery pick? Not, excuse me, not a lottery pick, but get a first round pick when they could just go do it themselves. And, um, I've been argued against saying that um, Jeremy Lin is a uh, you know great mentor and leader for Trey Young. To which I argued, you could literally get that from I don't know any other point guard or uh, have a good coach and help him out. But I don't know. I I know I'm in a percentage of people that think it's bad trade. I'm I do see the value in having Jeremy Lin, but I don't know. Let's let's revisit this. Should the Hawks have taken that extra draft pick in a year? Now, granted, it'd be a late-round draft pick. Or should we be happy with the one year of Jeremy Lin? Like, I I, I don't know what to think. I, I mean, I honestly think that the deal the Hawks made was reasonable. Um, I know we've seen Sam Hinkie and Danny Ainge just, just get as many picks as they possibly can. Um, but um, what I think Hawks fans don't realize is that they, they got two second-round picks in the deal, and one of them is pretty attractive. I think it's 2023 that the Hawks they actually got three uh, – they have three draft picks, as a, three second-round draft picks as a result of the deal. Um, two of them were explicitly a result of this deal. But I think 2023, between Atlanta, Charlotte – and um, Brooklyn, they the Hawks get the two best second round draft picks in that draft. Uh, so like Charlotte could be terrible by then, and so they could be drafting like 31, 32, 33, depending on on how things go in Charlotte. Uh, Brooklyn looks to be trending upward, and I would guess that Brooklyn is likely better than Atlanta in twenty twenty three if if things continue to go. 
uh, well for them. But you never know. I mean, I, we don't know if they're going to re-sign D'Angelo Russell. If they do, is he going to continue improving the way he has this year? Um, you know, they have a, a few interesting young pieces, but um, you know, but the front office and coaching, you know, that, that's all solid. They, they have a solid plan. They're executing a solid plan. So they did get some draft, uh, you know, assets in that trade. Um, do you, but what, what we don't know is that do they even have the opportunity to make that trade? We don't, we don't know. So it's sort, it's sort of order of operations goes all kind of, you know, a set of moves that collectively was put together. Um, but, you know, is the value having Jeremy Lin help uh, Trey Young for a year? Yeah, that's something that's more qualitative than quantitative to me. So it's hard to evaluate, but I was not upset by the trade. Uh, I They have a ton of draft picks, and if they do solid evaluation, like, you know, they, they drafted pretty well the last two years. Um, I think they have enough draft picks to, to kind of make the most of them. But on the other side, if someone wants to make the argument, you can never have too many first-round draft picks, then I, I'd say that's a fair argument. So, you know, I, you know me. I'm not going to be a hot take kind of person, but I was fine with the trade, and, but I also – Acknowledge that some people might feel like uh, they passed up a better opportunity. So, you know, I'm I was, I was way. So, I was trying to get you there. I was trying to get you on the uh, hot take cannon, but yeah, it was, it was a trap. You didn't, uh, you didn't fall for it. Good job. It was, it was I, all a test. And I, I think, I think Sam may, may uh, deliver a bit more of that t- entertaining type of takes uh, with, with your segment with him. <laughs> oh man, uh, yeah. But that was not a criticism. Yeah. That's just my personality. Sam is a ton of fun. So, yeah. Great you personality. Guys, you guys yeah. should have a ton of fun in that talk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, um, I see, you know, I see the value. And um, if if they come out, you know, and they say Jeremy Lin was extremely helpful to the growth of uh, Trey Young because we've seen growth through this season. Um, if, you only watch Trey's first 10 games and then watch la- his last five, you can definitely tell a difference in, in the player. And- yeah, and there have been games, games that they've been in and games that they won where you know, Coach Pierce made the decision, Trey, you go sit down and watch Jeremy close this game. And I, I one specifically comes to mind is a win they got in Washington where you know Coach Pierce had the option of, of, of believing – it's going to be better for Trey to sit and watch this game, the, the the you know the last six minutes of this game, for example, than to be out there in it. You know, and, and you know, I I've coached before, and I I had you know obviously not on that level, but there are times when you need a player to sit and watch someone else do what you're asking of the team, so they can visualize it and 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 get a better understanding from watching it happen, watching the execution happen. So, you know, it it is you know a valuable part of Trey Young's development. On top of that, before the season, when we were kind of do um, you know, a series of roundtable um, articles, you know, kind of predicting things or what have you, I think I was the only one that said I thought Jeremy Lin would start. Uh, in the beginning of the season, if healthy. And one of the reasons I uh, had in mind at the time was that I thought they should have a minutes limit on Trey Young because because he's so small and he needs to get stronger. I thought there was a, some undue risk around injury if they just let him play like 25 
hundred minutes or so, and I was thinking they should probably limit it to like eighteen hundred. But I think he's already north of fifteen hundred. Um, but it, he's changed my mind also because he's a, l- a lot stronger than I thought he was already. Yeah, I mean, um, he really, he really is impressively physical <laughs> with the ball in his hands, especially um, drawing. And, and, the amount of contact he draws, and he already has the thing of where he can get a player on his hip to draw yeah. a foul, and, yeah, and he, he keeps he, getting he, up. He keeps yeah, getting and, up, hasn't gotten hurt. But yeah, and he'll get the guy on his hip or or get the guy on his butt, and he'll be you know, pushing and getting creating space by being physical, and that's that's been a really surprising and impressive part of what he's done. So I'm less concerned about that now. Before the season, I thought there should be a plan to really track his workload and to give him one full NBA summer to get his body kind of ready for an entire season. But he's uh, shown me he's a lot stronger um, and more physical than I, I thought he would be his first year. Right. Um, he's doing stuff that took uh, previous players on Atlanta. It probably took them three or four seasons to learn in terms of uh, being physical and keeping, keeping players off of you. Um, I'm very impressed by his durability. I will yep. say that. I'm yep. very impressed by that. Like I could not have imagined and the fact that he goes for con- – it's not like – watching him in college, I thought he was, like, not athletic, and I thought he was slow. But now that I have seen more of him, which, again, I again I don't watch college. I, I don't watch college hoops. Watching more of him, it's more as he shifts his speed in the sense to work um, – to draw contact. It's not like he's continuously getting caught. He's purposely slowing down. So at times, so he can um, like get some extra contact on a layup so he can go for the and one or to get the extra point. Yeah, and and, it, and that's interesting because the, yeah. the modern players, uh, like the guys that you know, last three, I've interviewed the last three years or so, kind of have a collective reputation of they don't watch – other NBA games. They don't watch other NBA players. They don't, you know, love the game and, you know, in the form of watching it. But when you watch Trey Young play, you can see he studied Chris Paul. He, he does things that Chris Paul, right. Uh, in, in his first year, you know, he's using right. techniques that we've seen Chris Paul use forever. Um, and to me, that's encouraging. That, that tells me he's mentally invested in pursuing greatness and trying to replicate what he's seen in other great players and that that's something that again before the season I didn't know any uh, you know anything about kind of his mental approach to the game but that's been an uh, impressive aspect as well yeah his um drib- dribbling ability um, with him dribbling I saw Chris Paul I was like okay and then going under the, going under the basket taking the ball out and either looking for the shot or looking for the big um, to catch the ball off the double team, I've seen Steve Nash do that, and those and, those are the two guys that I see. Yeah, um, and he, he reminds me, also he also reminds me a little bit of Tony Parker when he drives across the paint and comes out on the other side looking for the pass. Right, right. You know, you know, uh, darn. Uh, I guess that leads us to our next um, um, final segment before uh, we get your thoughts uh, for rest of the season. Um, just the young guys on the team. Um, Real quick, give me like your 20-second, 30-second thoughts. Will John Collins be on the next Bucks team? Uh, I, I think, yes, he will. I think he'll be the starting power forward the next time the Hawks make the playoffs and will also be there hopefully the next time the Hawks 
uh, are a threat to go fairly deep in the playoffs, but uh, it will very um, significantly depend upon roster construction because I just don't think he's ever going to be even an average defender. Uh, he could become a good team defender, but in terms of an individual defender, I think uh, if he got the average, that would be an unexpected outcome. He just doesn't have the length that most players um, at that position have. You know, he's, oh, what, 6'10", and has like 6'10", wingspan. So he doesn't have that, like, plus 4, plus 5 wingspan that a lot of players that play at that position has. Like, you know, think about a guy like Pascal Siakam or whoever, right? And and I wrote a piece on Peace Street Hoops about a month back, I think, about what type of big man the Hawks should put thanks to John Collins and that other big man to play next to him for you know to start and play a majority of minutes next to him, in my mind, needs to be a rim protector, needs to be uh, a dominant defensive rebounder. Um, John Collins uh, does okay. He's an awesome offensive rebounder. He does pretty well right now as a defensive rebounder. Um, but if he develops into being kind of a special offensive player, you know, players have to kind of pick and choose where they put their energy. Um, and that doesn't, I'm not talking about telling a guy don't play hard all the time. Right. But the best players know how to kind of know where to invest their energy for maximum impact. And if he could uh, be uh, less uh, needed, to help um, the team do well in the area of defensive rebounding, it would help him, I think, have more to offer offensively. Um, and so, you know, I do think he'll be there, but I think that they need to find a very particular type of player to play next to him in that front court. Yeah, if only the Hawks could trade with the Knicks for Porzingis. Ah, darn it. <laughs> um, okay. Um yeah, yeah, John Collins. I re- I mean, I'm not saying anything bad about John Collins. I really like him as a player. Um, I like him as a person in the sense that he's the only um, NBA player I've ever kind of like, I guess you could say rooted for, that had a um, parent in the military and has lived on multiple bases. <laughs> yeah. He is fantastic around the rim. Um, yeah, he is. It's and just he, like he does certain things with finishing that you don't realize how hard it is until you actually go out and try it on your own. And he's doing it in his second year. Um, and I believe it was your article that you wrote where you made mention that it's like he's too big to be a power, the traditional, not traditional, but the modern day power forward, those modern day power forwards that can slip and play the um, the three. But he's too small to be, I guess you'd say, a center. He's kind of in the no man's land, like right now. Um, yes. Ten years ago, I'd imagine there'd be more def- definite of a fit for him. But um, I believe well, you wrote this. Does, does that sound familiar? Uh, it, it sounds like something I, I – it is something I think, and it probably is something I slipped in to that piece about what needs, what kind of player they need to put next to him. So it was probably in that piece. Um, but a lot of like what his total value will be, you know, uh, before last night's game, he was shooting 40% from the three point line. I don't think that's a realistic goal for him, you know, but could he be a 37% shooter? You know, 
a lot will come down to whether or not he can knock down, uh, you know, a good percentage of three point shots. Because when you get, you know, the old, old heads, the old guard will say when you can find a score that can score at all three levels. So at the rim in the mid range, you know, with a face up game or back to the basket game and at the three point line, that's when you have a special offensive player. And there's, he's showing some possibility that he could become that, but, they need to, the, in order for that to work, in terms of the, that being the way that the next really good Hawks team is configured, they need a really good defensive five and a really good defensive three to help reduce what they would need from him on defense. Whoops, I muted myself because I didn't want to make too much noise. <laughs> I thought that was gold, what you were saying. So sorry, guys, for that delay. No, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, and then also, obviously, I mean, it's going to be obvious that Trey Young's going to be on the next good Hawks team. Like, unless mm-hmm. a deal came along, um, his, yeah, value, but, his value is super high right now. Um, it, it is, but like John Collins, you know, he has yeah. the liabilities and he always will. And so the players that they put next to him. So, for example, I don't think Tyler Dorsey is going to be on this team for very long because he just really can't play with Trey. So Herder was a great draft pick. He's got solid length. He, he, he he's actually not as long as he kind of looks. He makes the most of his length, but he's he's a, he's a big guard, you he's know. Guard, yeah. And he could ha- he could handle you know bigger defensive assignments. Um, but they'll they'll need a, another one or two wings that um, can kind of kind of help defensively uh you know to to um offset the def- the defensive liability of Trey. So, you know, Trey at the one, yeah. John at the four, uh you know, good two-way players, two and three, specifically a really good defender that can handle the three like the big small forwards in the league and then a really good five is I think what they're going to have to add uh to to get the the roster to a point where it's something that's, you know, real like yeah um yeah because it's not like just john that you would need to um surround the players with it's trey as well since they both kind of have you know they're both fantastic offensive players but defensively in order to round the team out you need you need the um the eastern conference player of the month damari carroll at the three um absolutely um, that that version of him that would be a perfect fit, but who boy, um, which makes watching Torin Prince very interesting. <laughs> yeah, I tried to have an open mind about Torian since he came back from injury, hoping that they kind of just had just time to talk to him about what he should be doing and how he should be trying to contribute. And since he's come back, I've seen some stretches where it's like, okay, it looks like he's kind of got his head on straight, and there's other times where it's like. This looks like the old Torian, and and so I guess it'll take the rest of the season if he's not traded in the next five days. I'm not going to be shocked. Um, if you ask me who's the player most likely to be traded in the next five days, I would have to think about putting Prince's name out there um, because teams are more willing to give up real stuff for a player they can control. But um, but yeah, to me, before the season, when I was on Brad's uh, podcast, I talked about the fact that this will be the year that we'll figure out if Torian can achieve any consistency at all because he's one of the most inconsistent players in the league. Uh, it, not just in terms of whether he's making a shot or not, but whether 
he kind of has his head on straight, whether he's engaged in the game and, and focused on doing things that contribute to winning basketball, not just him doing impressive basketball stuff. Not just uh, dribbling, dribbling the ball out and um, watching the ball go in his hands. And because there are those stretches. I mean, Tor- Torian has fantastic. Um, the, he has very good stretches. And then he also has some that you're just kind of like, why are you dribbling the ball? Or you look at him, get the ball, and you you just know, like, he's not going to pass the ball. Yeah, or, or like there's been times even since he's come back that the Hawks, you know, good five, six minutes in the first quarter, the ball's moving really well, really well, really well, moving really well. Torian goes in the game and then the ball stops. Yeah. Like, how do you not know? <laughs> yeah, it's – You know, that that's going to be a problem, you know. But there's other times where he went in and he helped move it. He, it. It never moves quite as well with him. He's kind of a methodical decision-maker even when he's at his best, but – that is that is kind of frustrating. Um, on on the defensive side for for Torian, he's a much much more functional defender in a switching defense. He's been pr- a pretty terrible defender in a non switching defense. And um, with Philadelphia, the Sixers in the playoffs played almost exclusively switching defenses and played a lot of switching across the season. So it really it also comes down to scheme in terms of how much value Prince has, but I'm not going to be surprised if he's not on the team, um, you know, past the next season or so. So uh, Prince for Markel Markel Fultz, just hypothetically. uh, I would do it. What what would you say? You you are Travis Schlink. You are in the – no, you are going to go talk to Travis Schlink, just hypothetically. You get the offer. You you know how you feel about Prince, and you know everything you've heard about Markel Fultz, and you are – Basically, just straight up, uh, what what would you suggest? What would you say to um, Schlink, Travis? Schlink? I, I would say make the trade. I would say uh, the upside of Fultz is you know we're not sure that Torian Prince is ever going to be like an average starting quality small forward. Uh, Markel Fultz was a consensus top pick uh, in in a draft. We don't know what's going on with that shoulder. We really don't know what he is in terms of kind of his mental makeup. Um, but thankfully our head coach spent all the last season <laughs> on the team that Mark Fultz was on. So I, I would, I was about to say do, that. Good job. Yeah, I would defer to, uh, definitely want the input of, of Lloyd Pierce and if Lloyd Pierce feels like he has the, the work ethic and the, and the kind of the mental makeup to, uh, get through this. And I'd also think that, um, given what's going on with Markel, that, a, a new environment might be really, really good for him. Uh, also, I don't know if Mark Elfolds and Ben Simmons ever would have really kind of maximized each of their own individual capabilities or not, um, because Ben absolutely has that ball in his hands, that value on offense. Uh, well, that's probably 80% true. He's, he's, he's a good cutter. He's good in the ducker spot, but he has way, way more valuable – uh, way more value as a passer and a playmaker. Um, and then hopefully, you know, Trey right now needs the ball to, to have value, but hopefully, you know, two years down the line, that's not always the case that, that he'll develop the ability to have value off the ball as well um, as a catch and shoot threat. So um, it, it would be interesting to see kind of Trey Herder, Fultz, you know, kind of share backcourt minutes and, you know, like, 
Folds could crash and burn. That's certainly a possibility, but I think yeah, I would say make straight. I would say do it because I, I mean, I agree. Um, I saw this the other day and I thought about it for a second and I thought about the points Lloyd Pierce, former coach. Also, I thought about, Hey, you're in Atlanta. You're his, his rookie year, Marco Fultz, they were expected to make the playoffs and kind of like have some sort of run into the playoffs. Um, you know, he wasn't dependent as the main guy, but obviously they needed him and he, they relied on him. I would just say, Hey, pressure's off. You're in Atlanta. <laughs> That's the, um, I don't know. That's, that's another thing. Feel free to make a mistake and don't f- get worried about getting benched. Yeah. Right. Trace, Trace had yeah. games where he shot one for nine and turned the ball over six times and nobody freaked yeah. out. Yeah. Well, besides, besides the fans, but, um, yeah, but, <laughs> but, but, yeah. but they freaked out temporarily until he came back and had another good game and, and then realized, Oh, that that's how rookie seasons go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's what I would say. Um, it would make sense for um, to me. It would definitely make sense for, um, I guess, Philly if they do do the switching defense, um, like you mentioned. That that would be great. Um, give give another defender on the perimeter, and then you also have a guy. If you could convince uh, Prince, you got a fantastic catch and shoot shoot um, player. Yep. Um, so that'll that everyone wants one of those so yeah that's um that's interesting um i looks like we're running out of time on our end and man we have been we have been going just two uh nerds talking about hawks basketball here um let me get one final thing from you um what is your uh rest of season outlook just just give me your thoughts on the rest of the season. Any expectations or something you want to look out for or something you want to tell fans to look for on the court? Yeah, so I'm right now I'm most closely watching TP just because he just came back from injury and I've been very curious if they've been able to kind of rework his mental approach to the game. And like I said, there's some evidence uh, that, yes, there's some evidence that he's not implement, implementing it. Um, but then um, I, I think Spellman is an interesting guy to watch. Now he's going to have to completely remake his body if he's going to be a real NBA player. Um, but when when you watch the action the Hawks run with either in the pick and roll or their horns action, it's typically Trey cutting off of a screen with a dribble. One big goes to the three-point line, one big goes to the rim. And Amari Spellman has definitely – the highest ceiling by far of any of the Hawks bigs in terms of perimeter shooting. He, he could be a legit North of 40% three point shooter. And that's why they drafted him. He's also a, a very good passer, um, but he, like he's going to have to like try to lose like 30 pounds or whatever this off season to be able to move on defense successfully. Um, but just, just, yeah, I'm watching Amari to see if the decision making improves and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Trey, I think if he just keeps doing what he's doing, uh, if he replicates the second half of the season, is basically like the first half of the season, with maybe just cutting down his turnovers a little bit, uh, improving his so- shot selection just a little bit. But I, I'm not going to be uh, you know unhappy if he just kind of replicates what he has. And then Herder's confidence, you know, it's 
he's gone on record and said, you know, he basically didn't have any confidence at the end of the season. He, he, he thought it would take two or three years before he really belonged on the court. Um, but he's, man, he's good. He's really good. And just seeing him kind of develop confidence and, and you know, have confidence in his playmaking and his shooting. Um, and then just get, get, getting uh, more mistake free on the defensive end. Rookies, the, rookies have to just do that through experience. There's really no other way to kind of get better as a defender apart from, from playing, you have obviously study and things like that. But, you know, I, beyond that, um, does Bimri uh, take a step offensively? I wrote a piece earlier about how he's going to have to improve his finishing at the rim. If he's going to have the offensive value to be a, a real rotational player on a good team. And that that's still something that I don't think um, the case is either open or shut on that. I think the um, jury is still out on that. So th- those are the things I'm watching for the rest of the year. Okay. All right. Great. Um, that's a whole lot of stuff, guys, for you guys to watch. Um, obviously, also outside of uh, possible trades. But um, True. yeah, um, lots of stuff to watch this year. Glenn, it says if this season is a fun season, watch the Hawks, even though they're not good. Uh, it's almost it, as if. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, it's fun. I hope it. The second half is as fun. Sometimes the season starts to feel a little bit long, but they've they've um, won you know games here and there that on paper they had no business winning. Um, right. And the people who were hoping for a draft pick, um, like for example, that really close loss in Toronto was like maybe the ideal outcome some Hawks fans <laughs> want. It's like they played really well. They you know went toe to toe with one of the best teams in the league, but they got the else which helps their uh you know ping pong ball situation so um yeah. I, I think i think i think more fun ahead the rest of the way i'm looking forward forward to every every single game that's left on the schedule and i'm looking forward to more nights where i kind of like have a complete 180 for my thoughts at the beginning of the year in terms of okay like just the other night um against like the jazz and portland and i don't know a couple of other teams but there have been times where I'm just watching the Hawks game, looking in the fourth quarter. I'm like, okay, they have to get Trey Young back on the floor because he's the only playmaker that we have that can get the other guys going, um, at least on offense. And then I had to stop myself and said, wait, what did I just say? Um, <laughs> it, I, get, I get caught up in it too. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's not because I'm being dumb. It's like you, yeah. see, you see them playing so hard. Right so hard and they're chasing a W and you want it for them. Uh, that's kind of where you end up as a fan is like, okay, they're, they're really playing really hard and working really hard and they want this win. And, and then usually if you're watching, if you're like me, you end up wanting them to get that win and get the satisfaction of the win. Right. But if they don't get it the next day, you realize, Oh, not so bad. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and if, <laughs> That's true. And then it's it's also, I don't know, it's also fun just looking at this and be like, I'm not trying to like, I don't know, talk too much, but I legitimately think this is the best crop of young players I think I've seen this team have since I've started watching, you know, watching the, um, watching the Hawks play. Like, you know, I'll talk myself into um, 
certain players being good. Like I was like, you know, Jeff, he's going to be really good. And, you know, talk yourself into him because you see the athleticism for those first three years. Uh, Dennis, because in summer league, he has those times when he's a good passer. But I'm just looking at this. I'm like, wow, they're actually like doing stuff that's I, – I mean, credit the development deve- developmental coaches on this and um, credit everyone for making me look wrong and bad and terrible um, six months later. So I guess I was wrong on a lot of it. But that's a topic I'll get more into um, if I can get Sam on later on. But, um, yeah, um, Glenn – Thank you for joining me. Um, what what do you have to plug? Because I know you're always recording and doing stuff. Yeah, so uh, my Greg, Greg, who also writes a piece for you, so we have a, a podcast we record weekly, Full Court Press podcast. We tend to cover the whole league and kind of stay away from the national narratives, not because they're not interesting, but because they're covered <laughs> elsewhere. Um, and we kind of lean on our coaching background and we have our stuff is a little bit more technical in nature. Not, we're not necessarily pursuing kind of the, an entertaining podcast, if you will. Um, hopefully we're not totally boring, but we do tend to focus on the technical. The next episode that will come out will, will be one that I recorded with, uh, our, our third partner, Dane Moore, um, who's uh, a credentialed reporter. Um, he covers the Timberwolves here in Minneapolis. Um, right. But we did, we did a trade deadline preview episode that we recorded that should come out on Monday. So, And then um, all my writing is at Peace Street Hoops. So there's a lot of good writers there. Proud to be one of them. Um, but uh, I presume if you're listening to this that you, you probably are aware of that. But I thoroughly enjoy being a part of a team that helps cover uh, the Hawks on that website. Um, awesome, awesome, fun, fun team to, to be a part of. Um, so, yeah, that podcast and then my writing at Peace for Hoops. That's where it looked. Find me. Great. Well, I just added Full Court Press to my um, queue. I don't know why I never had it on there, but – I like just added it to my queue on my phone. So you have one more subscriber as of right now. And I'm, and I thank you very much. We're grateful for every single listener we have. Um, you know, we have a not huge, but we have a, uh, our dashboard tells us we have a fairly loyal listenership. Um, so, but we're, we're, we are certainly thankful for um, the listeners we have because we, we do get enough ad revenue to kind of offset um, some most of the cost to produce the show, which is good. Um, I don't have the time to do like editing and production stuff, things like that. Um, so, you know, I pay a small company to do that, but it, you know, so the listenership helps us uh, kind of operate a cost neutral uh, uh, thing, which is um, all we ever had in mind. We're not looking to get rich through that means whatsoever. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you for coming on. And well, it's it's been fun. I'm starting to tear up right now. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I hope this is just a temporary thing for you, whether it's you know a few years down the line or what have you. But um, congratulations on a great run, and I've been honored to be on the handful of times I've been on. And um, uh, yeah, you're you're a really good podcaster. I'll never be. Oh, as good, thank you. I'll, I'll never be as good of a podcaster as you are. You got a great voice and a really entertaining style. So. Yeah, it'll be missed, um, but also, you know, congratulations on, on, on what you've accomplished through it. So 
I hope you'll be able to get be able to get Sam on because I would very much look forward to hearing the two of you talk as well. So hope that one one day out. I'll be back. I'll probably I'll probably um, still do the live streams once or twice a year, but um, yeah, yeah and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll have to have you on on mine uh, like maybe during the summer when there's not a lot going on, maybe after the draft and just just you know I think. It, it would be good for my listeners to have an entertaining voice on now and then. So you, you, maybe I might reach out at some point and say, Hey, you want to come on my show and um, give you the opportunity to um, kind of, uh, uh, you know, podcast, but not have to run the whole operation. Oh, I'd be honored for that. We'll do it. It's just going to happen. Great. Well, thank you guys. Um, I don't know if I'm going to do two parts to this. Um, I might make it one long extravaganza, um, but tune in for part two and thank you. Thank you once again. We'll be back.